Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Calling Tau City, turn on your radio. I know we had some words last time, but that was so long ago. I got your message. It was a little harsh, you know. It's still a little hard for me to hear. Please take it slow. Welcome to Starship Sofa, part of the District of Wonders Network. Featuring tales to terrify and far-fetched fables. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. I'm tuning in to your transmissions. I'm moving, waiting to be found. And I'm building rockets. This is the Starship Sova. Everybody, welcome. Hello and welcome to show 493. I am your host, Tony C. Smith. Hello, everyone. I hope everyone is fine and dandy. Now, you'll probably not want to know this, but I'm just sitting in shorts. <laughs> shorts and Crocs. That's all I've got here. It's a glorious day, man. It's a glorious morning. But my God, if the neighbours could see me, yes, very tight shorts. I'll have you know. <laughs> <laughs> There's a few people like clicking off now. That's enough, too. That's enough. Tell you what's coming in today, sure. We have just one story, but what a story it is. It's the main fiction Starship Down by Tracy Canfield. It was originally published in Analog Magazine. Before we get to that, a big thank you to everyone who kind of, you know, mentioned last week about Patreon. Thank you so much. You know, we've had a, a, a number of people sign up there. So please, if that's your thing, help us out. We've been going 10 years and actually we're in our 11th year there now. And we do Tales to Terrify as well. That's got to keep going. We're paying the writers and far-fetched fables. So if you kind of enjoy what we do, please support with Patreon. Just a little a month. Honestly, you wouldn't believe 250 or five. You know, I think it's in, it's, it is. It's in dollars over there on Patreon. Just, man, you know, 10. Hey, if you can, why not? All this great fiction. We are there to help the community. You know what I mean? So please help out. We need to keep going. And more so than anything there now, because I don't think I'm... I'm not that I haven't got the energy. It's just there's a lot of things going on in my life. And you know how I was going to do like lots of little things and maybe do a Kickstarter for show 500. Well, and get Jim to do a, a live um, you know, sofa con thing. I don't think that's going to come off. You know, I'm just not prepared at all. And I know Jeremy's trying to get a nice story for her to celebrate. But I was, oh, I had all these plans of like putting balloons up in space and everything like that. And it's just. It's creeping up ever so much, and I've got nothing in place. We're away on holiday this week for a, for a week. We'll go away again in a few days, you know, and it just it's all going to just, like, come at once, and I just haven't got anything. So we'll just hit the 500 and just keep on going. Do you know what I mean? But that's what I'm saying. I was going to do, like, a little Kickstarter. So more so than anything, do you know what I mean? Help out, you know, do support her on Patreon. Come over there and just help out, make sure... We keep paying the writers. Do you know what I mean? That's an amazing feeling when we get these stories. You know what I mean? And we can just at least give a little bit back to the community. So help out. It would be fantastic. 
Right, Tracy Canfield then. He originally published, like I said, in Analog Magazine. Tracy Canfield is a computational linguistic whose short fiction, science fiction and fantasy has appeared in Analog, Strange Horizons and many other magazines and anthologies. CNN called her a Klingon scholar when she recorded the Klingon version of the Genoland Caves audio tour. And I had a look and these are caves in New South Wales because I didn't know, I didn't know what these, these caves were. So, Way to go, Tracy. This story is narrated by Samantha, I think it's Wallen. Always keeping a clean manicure and a cup of coffee in hand. Samantha is a film writer, editor and numerous passions that most that take up most of her time and overwhelm her. Get her to brunch with a fat stack of French toast in front of her and she'll calm down. Currently, she lives the dream, not in New York or Los Angeles, but in hot, smoggy county of San Bernardino. She has one husband, <laughs> one husband, just one, two fur babies, and speaks a little French. So, the Starship Sova is very proud to present. Starship Down by Tracy Canfield The mobile med station door light buzzed, and Okolani Yi opened the door without setting the view screen to the outside camera feed. It was a bunny, of course. The nearest non-bunny was at Aoi Station, currently 600 kilometers away. A bunny tripped by the orchard wall and broke its ankle, said the visitor. Bunny Tongue had no greetings. How far away? The bunny spoke a single word, which the translator bud in Yi's ear rendered as two to six kilometers. Wait a minute. Yi grabbed the med kit and pulled on a lightweight mask with a portable aerator that clipped on her belt. The Myosotis atmosphere was breathable enough, a bit high in CO2, a trifle light in O2, but on long, brisk walks she preferred to breathe earth mix. The mask was comfortable. With the temperature and humidity regulation, she'd forget she was wearing it. The bunny loped off over a blue hill. It wasn't even Genius Bunny, who was the only Myosotian he could tolerate anymore. Looking at the bunnies clumped on the blue hills around the med station, Yi wouldn't have known there was an emergency. They were sitting placidly, mating vigorously, grooming their ears, chasing their round little children away from the stone walls, and playing the copycat game. This was one of the few bunny recreations that did not involve mating. The rules were simple. Two bunnies faced off and imitated each other's gestures. Yi had been refusing to play for six months now. She trotted on the springy blue mat of grass. In an earth year on Myosotis, she'd lost the mental quotation marks and dodged between orum trees with heavy orange bulbs, the orchard. The bunnies did not tend or plant the orums. The orchard had been sprouted from discarded rinds the bunnies had left after scavenging outside their pastures and bringing back foods they liked. Myosotians, bunnies, were technically sentient, the only such race on Myosotis. They were herbivores. Evolution on Myosotis had never erected the rigid barriers between plant and animal that Earth had, but the term conveyed accurate approximation of the bunny ecology. Everything bunnies ate were sessile. They were not hunters. There was a wall, a precarious stone heap built by the bunnies to keep other herbivores out of their pastures. Yi knew she had reached the scene of the accident when she saw a circle of bunnies squatting so they faced outward. The injured one would be at the center, a hardwired defense mechanism against a long-extinct predator. 
The bunny patted her ponytail but made no move to help or hinder her. In their usual resting posture, sitting on their hind legs, bunnies presented an egg-shaped silhouette three meters high, not including the waving ears, the bifurcated ornamental crests that could have added another 50 centimeters. A slit in the chest between the forelimbs concealed the sex organs. The vrith, one of the two bunny sexes, also had a white or pink stripe down their backs and small white nipples under their armpits. Yi clambered down into the enclosed circle and took a look at her patient. Humans had invented FTL technology and never used it. The first test of the Slominsky drive had inspired an immediate outburst of optimism that completely drowned out the voices droning about rocky planets where no one could live, the possible lack of Van Allen belts and consequent frying by cosmic radiation, the prohibited cost of colonization. Then the Carrions made contact. Yi had been old enough to read the headlines and understand the significance of the enormous fonts and sidebars overflowing with unanswered questions, and she had been young enough to find a mandatory class on coalition history waiting for her when she reached high school. The Carrions had been watching Earth via never-noticed Ansible-enabled satellites, or more likely some other member of the coalition planets had been watching and reported to the Carrions when the Slominsky drive became feasible. Interstellar security guards working in exchange for some piece of carrion technology, cold fusion, weather control, the Ansible itself. The carrions had had FTL for over 5,000 Earth years and considered themselves to be running this part of the galaxy. It could have been a lot worse. They had a hands-off approach. They appreciated it if sentient races joined their coalition of planets, and what the carrions appreciated, everybody did. They discouraged interplanetary war and interspecies exploitation, and what the Carrions discouraged, nobody even considered doing. They handed out technology generously, but there was a catch. Advanced species had to help the less advanced species adapt. The bunnies were not, by the even broadest definition, advanced. You recognize the down bunny. She called it Baron von Bunny though she would have had to query the translation database to know how that came out in bunny tongue. One of the baron's hind ankles was clearly twisted. The baron writhed in evident pain, though Yi still saw little in its faceted black eyes except stupidity. In the safety of the circle, the baron's thumb claws had retracted, as if for locomotion. Yi stuck an analgesic pad over its breathing orifice to let it inhale the drug, then straightened the ankle and tied a splint on with a slow-dissolving bandage. Bunny's hind legs were larger copies of their upper limbs, the thumb claw on all four limbs, which had been presumably evolved for dealing with food, provided an opposable digit. Bunnies usually moved by bounding on their hind legs. On rough terrain, they dropped to all fours. They did not build roads. The flesh around the injury was seriously abraded. Yi wiped up the clear bunny blood and covered the wound with a strip of synth flesh, which immediately let off a puff of ozone and began to fuse the baron's scaly skin. She sprayed the outer layer with a fixative to prevent the baron from finding itself fused to the wrong side of its dressing. She waited for the baron to get up and to take a few tentative hops on its splinted ankle. With unnecessary slowness, the circled bunnies came to the realization that there was no injured comrade to protect, and they could disperse. Yi trudged back to the med station, allowing herself to contemplate her useful, futile plan for bunny education. 
By Carrion standards, the bunnies were intelligent. They used language and made tools. Well, they built ramshackle stone walls, and long ago they had made weapons. Their language, as Yi had just observed, let them refer to things that were distant in space and time. They could say, a bunny tripped by the orchard wall, but it was weak in other areas. Many, many other areas. Yi still had an old intro to xenobiology file about bunny tongue. At first she had assumed it was a joke, the file on Sex Life of the Caobotes, which was empty. The Caobotes were parthenogenic. The bunny tongue file was intended to be used as an insight into Myosotian thought, not as a phrase book. No humans could actually speak bunny tongue. The sounds were too unsuited for the human's vocal apparatus. Yi's portable wireless translator synthesized bunny tongue words for her. Bunny tongue had three numbers, one, two, and many. Desperately bored med station biologists had programmed numerous synonyms for this last into the translator, from a lot of to veritable metric shitloads. Yi preferred not to enable them, but there were many. Bunnies were good about expressing time, especially past and present. The future was often hazy. They weren't bad at aspect, whether an action was in progress or completed. They were hopeless at counterfactuals. Statements like, if I were hungry, I would eat, were beyond them. This made it improbable for Yi's plans for founding the first Myosotian school of medicine would succeed. The flocking on the med station walls looked grubby, but installations on Myosotis couldn't have shiny metallic walls or even reflective windows. Bunnies would spot their reflections and play the copycat game with them until they fell over from exhaustion. Speaking of the copycat game, there was Genius Bunny, playing it with another bunny, Flora Bunny, he thought. Genius Bunny was toting an empty orum rind. Flora reacted to something. Yi was too far away for the translator to pick up its words, but it had, had doubtless lost in a way that seemed stupid even by bunny standards. Flora retracted its claws and began cuffing Genius Bunny's face. Genius Bunny dropped the rind and shielded its eyes. Yi felt a pang. She liked Genius Bunny, and she admitted to herself, probably encouraged it to follow the med station on its circuit through the bunny pastures. Like so many scientists-to-be, she herself had been, or at any rate had felt, excluded by others as a child because of her brains. Here, far from earth or humanity, the same pattern played out for her daily as a farce. Flora finally gave up abusing Genius Bunny and ran off to mate. You noticed that Flora had very long ears. Long-eared stong were very desirable to Vrith. The two bunny sexes could be mapped onto male and female, if you stretched, but no one on Myosotis ever did. Stong produced eggs internally, and Vrith fertilized them. After mating, the stong would immediately lay the fertilized egg and give it to the Vrith, who would carry the offspring to term in a pouch and then care for it until it was old enough to graze on its own. Off-world biologists considered the stong female, but no human who had seen a group of vrith nursing their infants could quite bring themselves to call them male. Bunny tongue itself didn't mark gender. Much as Japanese can indicate plural but usually doesn't, bunny tongue didn't have separate pronouns for vrith and stong. The automatic translator handed both pronouns as it, since there usually wasn't enough context to disambiguate the two, and humans followed suit.
Yi reeled the collapsible bunny dummy she used for practice out of the med station and laid it on the waving blue grass. This time it will work, said the optimistic part of her brain. She was doing this solely to shut that part up for another few days. Come here, she said to a nearby bunny, Yoshihisa. She would rather have tried this with Genius Bunny, but Genius Bunny was so little respected by other bunnies that they might not have let it try this on them for real. Yoshihisa bounced over and faced Yi. It took no interest in the dummy. Yi held up a splint. If a bunny had a broken leg, you would fix it like this. The Carrions discouraged exploitation and manipulation of client species, but this technology sharing was the whole point. A bunny has a broken leg? Yoshihisa tapped its hind feet. Yi knew that meant the onset of panic. No, no bunny has a broken leg. Yoshihisa looked relieved. It had abandoned the unwelcome idea so quickly that it wasn't even mad at her for lying. Bunnies never lied, after all. If this bunny had a broken leg, you fix it like this. She held up the splint again. That's not a bunny. If this was a bunny, you could help it. This isn't a bunny. Yi gave up again and took the dummy back inside. In her opinion, you didn't need a star chart to find my esotis. It was smack in the gap between sentience and intelligence. Yi checked the biologist's forum for messages. Due to a loophole that accepted the forum from the normal technology regulations, it tended to be chatty. Unfortunately, most of the new squirts were in Bengali. The first English post was an update from Sirenin Station on Pythagoras Bunny, who was something of a Sirenin mascot for its ability to perform the low-rock counting test for numbers up to 14. Pythagoras had been killed by a collapsing wall. Yi sent her condolences. Genius Bunny could do the low test up to ten more often than could be accounted for by chance, but it seemed insensitive to mention it. The other English post was a new overlay for the translation database, promising 105 new synonyms for to mate. There were dozens of user-created overlays for this single term, but he never enabled them. Given the preeminence of the subject in Bunny's conversation, the cruder forms made a crowd of them sound like sailors on leave. According to Yi's old applied xenolinguistics professor, machine translation was one of those computational linguistics proposals that, on Earth, had never really been persuaded to work. Human languages have too many ambiguities of the time flies like an arrow, fruit flies like a banana variety. Bunny tongue, though, was simple enough to model, and if you were careful to restrict your speech to things bunnies understood, it could handle it. The bunny tongue translator was based on Karen technology. They had been looking after bunnies for centuries, after all, and had compiled the definitive corpus of bunny utterances. But it hadn't been necessary to build dams or design highway systems on some backwards coalition world to earn it. It was so trivial a human grad student could have built it. A centralized database allowed the translator to be consistent about words, especially proper names. If a human slipped and used a word with no bunny-tongue equivalent, the translator would generate a legal sequence of sounds that did not collide with an existing word and store it. The neologism would at least come out the same way every time. The translator's attempt to overlay prosody to simulate perceived emotion was much dicier. As with the synonym inserter, 
you prefer to disable the feature and figure out bunny emotions from context. To her, the default bunny voices sounded pleasant and emotionally neutral. Admittedly, this probably made them sound even stupider. Individual bunnies could be tagged with distinctive voices. Yi had set genius bunnies to a simulation of movie star of Royland de Crow, who specialized in adorable nerds. But Royland's stories always ended in triumph, and genius bunnies didn't. Yi could identify. The failed first aid class had left Yi grouchy as usual. She decided to make a phone call. First, she closed her door and sealed it. Her tiny bedroom contained a full-length mirror, which over the course of the past year had revealed a dourer and dourer Yi. She called Lizzie Srisai at Azura Station, on the half-cracked continent. Srisai was the most senior biologist on Myosotis, and her five-year hitch was nearly up. Bunnies occupied all eight continents. Archaeologists did not agree how this had been achieved, except that it was an accident. The med stations were distributed among bunny settlements, and their routes were designed to bring every bunny in range of medical treatment several times a year. Allowing contact between humans was not a requirement. Half of the stations were currently staffed by Bengali speakers and half by English speakers. Earth Service had originally tried sending qualified xenobiologists regardless of their language background. Only two of the original team could talk to each other, and that was in schoolbook Latin. There had been suicides. One of the Latin speakers had traveled a thousand kilometers to assault the other one. Earth Service changed the policy. Yu was considering learning Bengali just so she'd have more people to talk to, besides the bunnies. Srisai offered the usual sympathy with Yi's woes. Have I told you the story about the bunny I taught to apply NLG6, she said. Yi smiled. Of course she had heard the story several times, but right now she just wanted to have a conversation at an adult human level. It didn't have to be novel. Apollo, the bunny, had learned to do a few basic tasks under Srisai's supervision, and her scrupulous avoidance of the word if. Differential diagnosis was always the stumbling block, said Srisai. To look at a case of theba leaf poisoning and realize it wasn't geriatric gastric inflammation, you had to be able to imagine something not present. That ability had always eluded Apollo, who was now dead of geriatric gastric inflammation. Yi kept the conversation short. After she and Srisai had said goodbyes, she stuck her head out the door and shouted, does anyone want to talk on the phone? Of course, they always did. Carrions disapproved of using advanced technologies on a client world without giving the native population a chance to share. With a last check of her bedroom door, evacuating a bunny from the med station was a non-trivial task, Yi flipped the phone into bunny mode so it would shut off when they'd use it as long as she had. She opened the door. Her earth mix air would smell a little odd to the bunnies, but shouldn't do them any harm. In the, she glanced at the timer, 18 minutes they'd be inside. The bunny she called Izzy lumbered up to the view screen. On screen, another bunny nodded vigorously. It's raining, said the remote bunny. No, it's not, said Izzy. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Would you like to mate? Okay. The on-screen bunny pressed its chest up against the screen. Srisai was giggling uncontrollably. At Yi's end, Izzy did its best. Yi turned away. Explaining to the bunnies why this wouldn't work was a lost cause. Earth Service had settled for making the screen sturdy and easy to clean.
Yi wandered outside and sat on the grass. In the distance, tall blue fronds waved and sang in sweet harmonies. The orum trees raised their orange bulbs high like an armful of sunsets. The grass wiggled. What appeared to be a lavender flower on a blue stalk nuzzled Yi's ankle. The flower was actually a mouth. With more ambition than sense, it was trying to devour her, but lacking teeth or tongue, it could only tickle. It was, in its alien way, cute. Then a bunny hopped over and ate it. Myosotis, such a beautiful planet, she thought, except for being full of bunnies. When Yi had decided on a xenobiology career, she had imagined coalition work as an interstellar peace corps. She would dive beneath the methane oceans in her Earth Service issue in virusuit uniform to teach glowing globular Therakis how to program their first computer and ditch their circular slide rules. She would fly on a collapsible harness among the Dwala and explain strong cryptography. She would disseminate bioengineered toxophages with the slithering photosynthetic Orsho. Maybe she'd publish the occasional academic work in xenobiology or give interviews to the popular press on alien cultures and diplomacy. But she'd been assigned to my Asotian protectorate instead, to look after a race that was never going to develop FTL on its own and qualify for full coalition membership. Medical care was the only technologies the bunnies could benefit from. They didn't need energy sources, pollution cleanup, or FTL. They toiled not, neither did they spin. And they weren't intelligent enough to treat themselves— that's where Yi came in. She, along with the other biologists scattered among the Myosotis med stations, looked after their fellow client race. In return, humanity got an improved FTL technology that made the Slominsky drive look like a four-stroke engine. And all the scientific work on bunnies had already been done by the Carrions back when humans were still trying to figure out how to keep thieves out of their pyramids. According to Carrion archaeologists, bunnies' ancestors were a large herbivorous species. Their sheer size and groups discouraged most predators. Only one had ever been large enough to pose a threat. Bunny Tongue no longer had a word for it. Humans called it the Elmer. Bunnies seemed to have begun to build stone walls as protections from the Elmers. Language ability left no hard parts to fossilize, of course, but a pre-existing communicative system, perhaps used for warnings or when food was discovered, had probably developed into proto-Bunny Tongue, and bunnies who could talk could better organize defenses. Archaeologists had found clubs and even spears invented by some bunny Oppenheimer. Armed with these tools, the bunnies had defended themselves against the Elmers until the Elmers were extinct. The Elmers had been gone for millennia before the Carrions had come to call, but the conflict had left its mark. What the first Carrions on Myosotis had taken as religious practice, the burial of the dead at ends of the stone walls and the extension of the walls over the graves— seemed to be instinctive, a way to deprive the Elmers of their kills. Bunnies would flee unthinkingly, even more unthinkingly than usual, from a shape that suggested an Elmer. The human biologists sometimes took advantage of this for emergency crowd control. As Zarka Station had tried an Elmer suit, bunnies, it turned out, could still make clubs. Now the biologists used a projector. He wasn't going to say it would have been a good thing if Elmers were still eating bunnies, not publicly, but in the long run it might have been better than the alternative. With the end of competition, bunny evolution ceased. Bunnies didn't even compete with each other for territory. Egg fertilization and implantation rates decreased as population density increased. The population would grow to what the environment would support, then stop. 
a wonderful solution for individual bunnies who only invested resources in offspring that were likely to survive. It also eliminated one other possible source of evolutionary pressure. After the phone call had ended, it took Yi nearly an hour to shoo the bunnies out of the med station and ten minutes to squeegee off the view screen to her satisfaction. She celebrated with a lukewarm shower in her bedroom. When she came out to take the evening air, Genius Bunny had reappeared and was approaching a vrith not known to Yi. Will you mate with me? said Genius Bunny, with a syncopated bounce Yi could not help interpreting as hope. No. Mate with me. I don't want to mate with you. Genius Bunny, come inside, said Yi. Maybe she could give it a lesson on the dummy. It was probably just as much a waste of time as the last lesson, but at least it wasted time for a different reason since Genius Bunny might learn something. Genius Bunny ambled inside. It still had that orum rind in its hand and was dribbling spore pouches on the clean floor. Yi decided she didn't care. Yi slid the dummy out of its wall niche, but Genius Bunny wasn't paying attention. It was leaning over to stare intently at... Oh hell, she'd left the bedroom door open. She could have smacked herself. Genius Bunny squeezed through the bedroom door so the reflection was at the favored bunny focal distance. It held the rind up in front of the mirror and took out a black rock. That must be what had made Flora so angry. Genius Bunny had figured out a way to win the copycat game every time. Even if its opponent had an orum rind of its own, it couldn't predict what Genius Bunny was going to pull out of it. It was the bunny equivalent of discovering a new forced mate in chess. No doubt Genius Bunny had expected this to make the game more fun and was surprised to find its inspiration rewarded with cuffs. And now, he supposed, it had found an opponent that wouldn't be angry, but couldn't be beaten. Since she couldn't squeeze into her room and get a shot of ethyl alcohol with artificial lemon flavor, she consoled herself with a long drink of distilled water from the dispenser. But when she finished, Genius Bunny was backing out of her room and looking at her, not the mirror. Nobody can see what's in the orum rind, said Genius Bunny, in Royland de Crow's voice. Nobody can know what's in the orum rind. Nobody can take out the same color. It took out the same color. That's not a bunny. That's me. Yi had just witnessed the bunny equivalent of Kogito Ergo Sum. The thought made everything that much more depressing. She let Genius Bunny outside, then went in her room for that drink. She decided to watch the sunset and came out just in time to see Genius Bunny getting rejected by Izzy for the second time in one day. Genius Bunny bounced off to eat some ferns. Yi decided to interrogate Izzy a little. Why didn't you mate with Genius Bunny, she asked. I don't like Genius Bunny. I like Genius Bunny. Izzy scratched the back of its neck with its thumb claw. Did you mate with Genius Bunny? No. I like you. You don't want to mate with me. You're not stung. That was the least disturbing possible response now that she had considered it. Genius Bunny probably wasn't a mutant. It was at the high end of bunny variation, not a quantum leap forward. Bunny evolution may have been in equilibrium, but Genius Bunny wasn't about to punctuate it. If only it wasn't suffering the same fate as so many of its Earth counterparts. If only it could get laid, and pass on that nice collection of genes to its offspring. Yi, for the first time in her career, recalled an offhand reference from a frog-like, though human, biology professor whose lectures had heretofore been useless to her. It gave her a wonderful, awful idea. She was so excited she was tempted to snap on the ansible and try to reach a former classmate who might have the exact reference but resisted. 
The FTL comm channel was for carrion-approved business only, and it's not as though there was anyone off-world who wanted to talk to a bunny afterwards or vice versa. She searched the electronic library instead. Eventually, she found the article she wanted. Now for the forbidden experiment. She could hardly wait. Yi unrolled a largest size sheet of synth flesh on the work table and cut out a meter-long leaf shape with a pointed tip and squared-off bottom. It seemed a little floppy, so she reinforced it along the back with a thin length of splint that extended about ten centimeters past the square end. She gazed upon her creation and saw that it was good, so she made a second one. Finally, she masked off the bases and sprayed them on both sides with fixative so that only the bottom three centimeters were reactive. She lay awake in her bed all night, unsleeping, drumming her fingers, staring at the ceiling, waiting for dawn. Genius Bunny was its usual affable self. He was suitably impressed. She certainly wouldn't have been at her best if an alien with a flashlight had awakened her at sunup and ushered her into a hospital room. Lean forward for me, she said. It did, puzzled, she thought, by the untranslatable, for me. She gently applied the synth flesh to its ears, with a few supplementary strips along the splint to hold them in place. The tips of the prosthetic ears brushed the ceiling. To her, the results looked fine. A bunny with unusually long ears. For all she knew, though, other bunnies would find the effect grotesque. She had one last test, and it wasn't a very good one. She opened the bedroom door. Genius Bunny looked in the mirror for a long time. It retracted and extended its thumb claws. It rocked from side to side. Ye was not sure how to read that emotion. At last, it spoke. If I were Vrith, I would mate with me. Ye nervously held her finger on the projector button. What worked with earthbirds might not work with bunnies. Generations ago, a precarian zoologist, Malte Anderson, had studied the widow bird, a Kenyan bird with such extreme sexual dimorphism that males' tails were twice the length of their bodies. Anderson had snipped off some of those tails and pasted them onto one of the other male widow birds, with results never before seen by female widow birds, who preferred the enhanced males to the normal ones by a factor of two to one. Size did matter, and you could improve on what Mother Nature had to offer. Yi didn't know how the bunnies would take to similar imposture. She hated to risk Genius Bunny for it, but at least she had a backup plan. The projector, the tranquilizer, the self-cauterizing scalpel. I can't believe I'm hearing this, said Shusai. You're saying you performed a cosmetic medical procedure without informed consent on a bunny? I doubt you can get an objection out of it. Yi glanced at the view screen. Genius Bunny was laying happily on its back, patting its hind legs in the air, exhausted. We should edit its entry in the translation database and change its name to Playboy. I don't even know how many rules this violates. Want me to ship Genius Bunny to you? It should make a tour of all the stations. It could be the first sex tourist on my Asotis. You need to take a long, deep breath. I'm going to take a long, deep drink instead. Yi slugged down a third shot of lemon alcohol. Another happy thought occurred to her. The counterfactual. Did I tell you what it said? If I were Vrith, it'd mate with me. There's no word for if in bunny tongue. Wait, I get it. From the translator, right? We say if, and the translator always handles it the same way. I'm so proud. I'm going to train it to be a doctor. And all the smart little baby bunnies, too. In a couple of years, we'll be starting the Genius Bunny School of Myosotian Medicine. She snapped the phone off. With the vaguest sense that she was overlooking something, she fell asleep on the bed.
Something buzzed Yi awake. Not the door. The communicator in the other room was going off. She couldn't have been asleep that long. She wasn't quite sober. She stumbled out to take the call. The red light, the ansible, was on. An off-world call. She looked back over her shoulder, smoothed her hair, and switched on the viewscreen. Her color was something few humans ever saw. Most of its body was a flattened white cylinder, flexed into an arc. The carapace was open at the end, and a knot of many jointed black fingers extended to work what must have been carrion comm controls. The glossy round red brain case was at the center of the screen. The writhing black tube extending from the brain case served as a sensory and communication organ. Its tip writhed and a fine mist sprayed out. Mavi Station, this is Akulani Yi. Miss Yi, said the speaker. Carrion speech was usually described as warbling. The audio output must be coming from a computer. Carrion machine translation was, unsurprisingly, excellent. This is Margaret Abraham Wetu Zakisa Chongchi Rotag of the Coalition of Planets. Mrs. Srasai contacted us on the Ansible to report your recent actions. Bitch, thought Yi groggily. She stated that you have performed an experimental procedure on a myosotian without said myosotian's consent. She further stated that you did this with the belief that said myosotian might be exposed to danger as a result of the procedure. Again, without said myosotian consent. She said this was done in an attempt to manipulate said myosotian's mating potential. Said myosotian is named Genius Bunny. I can get its myosotian name from the translation database. Yi was not moved to deference. Might as well be hung for a sheep as a lamb. I have not finished reading the charges. Your med station logs show that you used a long-distance communication device without allowing the myosotians to use it as well. Mistress Sai stated that you performed all of these discouraged acts, except the last, in order to achieve a long-term change in the myosotian gene pool. This is a strongly discouraged act. It's true, said Yi. It occurred to her that she didn't have a will. She wondered if she owned anything that her brother and sister would consider worth fighting over. On the bright side, she supposed she had found a way to get out of four more years of bunny service. In keeping with Coalition recommendations, I remind you that Coalition members have never experimented on humans, have never deliberately exposed humans to increased risks, and have never permitted technology induction and application teams on Earth to use technologies without sharing them with humans. Furthermore, Coalition members have not engaged in selective breeding of humans, except for that incident in Dallas, and the team involved was immediately and thoroughly discouraged. He thought about that for a moment. You have not acknowledged the reminder. The simulated voice was implacable. I acknowledge it. I served on Myosotis myself, 224 Earth years ago, long before humans knew of the Coalition of Planets. I know how this will change them. The black tube waggled. It's about time, isn't it? And don't forget to let the Myosotians use the phone for 12.4 minutes. There you go. Big, big thank you to Tracy. Tracy, thank you so much. And Samantha, what a great reading. Thank you so much indeed. So that is today's show. Like I say, we kind of put, I'm putting on the whole the, 
Not the celebrations, because that'll still be fantastic, but for the show 500, all these little things I was planning, I'll probably get to them in the in the future, I'm sure sometime, but just for now, there's, so, there's too much going on in kind of my little world there. Nothing bad or anything like that, just... The allotment needs doing was one of them. Do you know what I mean? That's getting on top of us. Like I say, we're going away a few times. And I've just got a lot of kind of work. I'm still working on the Kickstarter from last year, getting all that together as well. So there's lots going on. And it's just, it's, I'm going to be just pushed, you know what I mean? Slammed against the wall. And I thought, well, I'll just don't want to make a big thing of it. But we'll just kind of, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll fly past show 500. But we do need your support. You know what I mean? I'm going to harp on about this for a, a few more weeks as well, if, if I can. If you allow me that. Please support one, Perion. If you've had this show, I hope you haven't been on this show for 10 years and never kind of stumped up a, like, <laughs> a subscription or anything like that. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure there's people out there that don't do it. None, none of these will do that. So if you if you possibly are one of them people, come on, just support with two fifty five dollars ten dollars just a month. Just a, yeah, man, you spend that in a, at a at a bus stop waiting for a bus, man. You know what I mean? Buying an app, give, give it us, and we'll just bring you the world, bring you the universe. Do you know what I mean? So and just keep you entertained for hours. Do you know what I mean? Look at our back history. How many just shows on just this one Starship's over? Nearly 500 shows there. Hours and hours of entertainment. Support it if you can. That would be absolutely fantastic. Until next week, just like you say, good night from me. This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network, dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com Thank you for listening. I don't get out much I've barely left the ground I'm tuning in to your transmissions I'm waiting to be found And I'm building rockets I'm pointing them to the moon But the work is going slow Anytime soon, can you reach me? Is my signal getting through? Turn on your radio, I want to talk to you. This signal's going light speed. By the time I get my say, I might already be on to you and on my way. But you're so far from here. I move slow, so I'm waiting on your call at home with nowhere to go. Can you reach me? Is my signal getting through? Turn on your radio. I wanna talk to you. I wanna talk to you. Myself on a radio wave, I might get to you someday. If books were rocket ships, I'd need only the will to fly. I'm still building word by word, and I'll get out there by and by. I'll get out.
get out there by and by. I'll get out there. I'll get out there by and by. I'll get out there by and by. I'll get out there.